From the Sunshine State, this is Tampa Bay's TAN Talk. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. To the Batmobile. A thunder of jets in an open sky, a streak of gray, and a cheerful. A loop, a whirl, and a vertical climb, and once again, you'll know it's time for the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and friends. Starring that supersonic speedster, Rocket J. Squirrel, with his pal, Bullwinkle the Moose, and a host of others. Hurry, Bullwinkle! The show's about to start! I'm coming as fast as I can! Wait to the people! Yay! Now what are you doing? Sign an autograph! This is John Smith. I know, but that's hard to spell. Hey, the Red Rocker Sammy Hagar here, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ah, uh, woo, good God, woo. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Brand new computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our website, Golf. Oh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. That's it. Good evening, Bobby. Hey, doing good here. Well, you're back in the driver's seat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. So, as they uh, say. Do you know how to drive a radio station? I forgot yeah. for a while, but I'm, uh, I practiced. I, you, I went around the parking lot for a while. You went around the parking lot. Let me get this. Uh, how do I sound? Do I sound okay? Radio yes. check, check one, check yes. two, check, 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 check. Okay, good. Well, this is our 11th anniversary, our, deli- uh, be, uh, our late uh, 11th anniversary. That happens to be on Lola's birthday. That happens to be on Lola's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to Lola. So, well, her birthday is 20 days after yours. Yes. I'll be exactly. darned. Exactly. I'll be darned. Exactly. Like it, like it, like it, like it, like it. 
All right. So how you been? Oh, just having fun here. Another, uh, yes, it's a, it's a fun well, place to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, so welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, uh, this is our eleventh uh, anniversary show. Eleven years we've been on the air. So we're not new to this. We're not new to this. Now we've done this once, at least twice, a couple times before, and. Uh, so, okay, what did we do this past weekend? Well, uh, this past weekend we came off a spectacular weekend at Amelia Island. I mean, that was just, uh, you know, Amelia Island was the last show last year, and uh, it was pretty impressive because it was at the beginning of this COVID pandemic or scamdemic or whatever you want to call it. And then the opening show for this season, this year, was, uh, even although it's a couple months later than it, it's normally in March and it was in May, um, they had a really a fascinating turnout. They had a couple hundred cars there and uh, some amazing stuff. It was a, uh, yeah, what, what I like about Amelia Island is, is they, um, the, the classes of cars, you know, um, a lot of shows didn't do this because Bill Warner, who also has a book out now um, called The Other Side of the Fence, and Bill was on our show a couple of weeks ago. He's the uh, chairman and founder of uh, Amelia Island. And uh, he was basically a motorsports journalist before they called him motorsports journalists, you know, automotive journalists. And he started like in the late 50s. And it's interesting because I think he said his first race that he covered was in Dunellen, which is borderline Citrus County, Marion County on an old air base. And, uh, and when you look, he, he has a Facebook um, page. And over the last year or two, well, actually the last year since uh, this pandemic's been going on or scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, um, he's been posting a lot of pictures, and the pictures are pretty amazing. Now he's got a book to that uh, to the testament, and it has a lot of those photographs in it. And um, they also had a, a private seminar on Saturday, which was you know media uh, personnel only invite. And it also featured Miles Collier because he also wrote a book on uh, automotive archaeology, something along those lines. And uh, so the two had this really nice seminar, and and they were pretty um, outspoken about, you know, the way things are going with this whole – uh, you know, with with racing these days. I mean, like Bill came right out and said, you know, it's it's not fun anymore. I mean, it's gotten to be a big business. And, and one of the things he was talking about, and Bobby, you can relate to this, because when we were at St. Pete Grand Prix, we were down there taking a pitch, taking pictures one time because we had media credentials. And there was like a there's a there's like a little chicane, and every once in a while they'd have what they would call a hole in the fence, and a lot of the photographers would gather there. And um, I know in the St. Pete Grand Prix, Bobby and I were there one time, and um. We got in a little bit of uh, trouble over that because they didn't really want people there because it's kind of a dangerous part of the racetrack. It's actually, actually was on a chicane. The cars are coming now. They're pretty fast, but it's a great place to take pictures. I mean, you really, you know, if you get down low, now you look at some of the pictures. Even Bill was saying that, you know, they had hole in the walls and holes in the fences, and you can get behind the fence, and you can get up next to the guardrail in some cases, and you can get some just absolutely amazing shots. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the drag racing pictures back in the day, you'll see that you know some of the cars going down the track, and then they'd lose a wheel or bust an engine, and tire uh, oil would get on the track, and one side would hook and grab, and the car would go and roll, and you know, it's those Kodak moments if you want to use that term. I mean, it's like the you know you're there. It's timing, you know. Well, I shouldn't say it's even timing. It's luck, really, and that's and that's what they were talking about. You know, if you're at the right place at the right time and you got a good eye, and you pull that trigger on that camera button, 
you know, you can get some amazing shots. And Bill's got a lot of those in there, you know, and they're and they're memorable, you know. And and pitchers, like they say, pitchers are worth a thousand words. You can't argue with that. And I'm sure if Alan's listening right now, you know, Alan will tell you that because Alan's a well-read kind of guy. He's got a lot of magazines from back in the fifties and sixties, and those were genuine, authentic, real pictures and articles that were written back in the day and they're not doctored like they are today today you just don't know what you're getting you know digital abilities they can do all kinds of stuff they can photoshop stuff so half the time you don't know whether a shot's real or not um occasionally you know they try to make the color look good and and things of that nature but so but, but bill said that like in, in today and when we know this you know because uh you know and, the, and 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 it changed even when we went to the grand prix 10 years ago you know you could there were areas that you could go that they won't let uh photographers and and, and media people anymore because it's either too dangerous and it's all about liability and insurance and things like that so um it's not fun and then, of course my take on the cars and, and racing nowadays is because a lot of it is um sterile you know spec racing you know all the cars are the same so that's up to drivers and uh i mean you know they're still figuring out a way to cheat you know a really good team does that in fact one of the seminars and we didn't go to it but it was uh called um uh something thunder and and ray Everham, uh who was the crew chief for uh, uh jeff gordon's car um the 24 car but uh, there was a number of race car guys there uh, people with imsa um but in this particular case, in this seminar, it was um, uh, Dale uh, um, D- Earnhardt Jr., okay? And he basically came right out and said, it's on, on audio right there, he says, you know, if you have a stock car, you're not competitive. And they did uh, a seminar a few years ago at, at uh, um, uh, Bill Warner's uh Amelia Island, and Ray Abraham, again, was the uh, uh, moderator and uh, also, obviously, a, a crew chief at one point in time. And the, and the title of the seminar was Unfair Advantage. Well, it was pretty amazing because, you know, for example, they show up there with a lot of these parts, and it was, you know, like they, have, they run these restricted carburetors, right? Well, somebody very carefully machined the plates so that, you know, when you check them for flow or eyeballed them you know they looked like they were correct but the the cool thing was is you could slide the bottom plate out of there flip it around and now it's no longer a restrictor plate it's got a big giant uh uh um, barrel there basically and venturi so it's going to suck a whole lot more fuel um things about there was a bumper there and there was a beautifully chrome bumper this is back in the day of course when they had bumpers and uh it wasn't heavy steel it was uh aluminum but they didn't know because it was on the car and nobody thought to check that and uh you know one of the guys that was probably the the best at cheating if you want to use that term uh was smoking eunuch and his thing was well it's not cheating until you get caught and you make it a rule so technically you can say it's uh an advantage to the guy that comes up with the idea so, you know, guys come up with these really clever ways to do things, and, you know, that's what it's all about. It's That's all about innovation. Um, jumping over to Can-Am cars, okay, which Can-Am, there was a gentleman there, his name was Trevor Harris, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I wasn't quite sure who he was. But uh, a couple of years ago, I did an appraisal on a couple of uh, rare Nissans, and it was when they had the Nissan uh, Performance Program, or whatever it was called, and um, MPT or NTP, uh, NRC, something like that. But it was a Nissan racing program that they had at the time. And this was in the late 80s. And Kaz Kastner was uh, ahead of that program. 
And Kaz Kastner used to run the Triumph team back in the late 50s and all throughout their early 60s. And then he kind of went some other racing teams and ultimately ended up with uh, Nissan. And we had him on our show as a guest here a while back. And pretty pretty interesting guy. But what I did not know that Trevor Harris, who was responsible for designing the original Shadow Can-Am cars, uh, also later teamed up with Nissan and did some work with Kaz Kastner and, of course, a whole bunch of other cars. So um, I was going to try to get a hold of Trevor Harris and get him on the show and have him talk about some of this stuff. And uh, we, will, we will do that because Can-Am racing... Basically, the rules were kind of no rules. It's like run what you brung. And it is absolutely mind-blowing, the stuff. I was talking to David Hobbs, and uh, he drove the, the McLaren M8, and he also drove the 917. When Porsche came out with the 917, that pretty much put the end. That was the coffin and the nail for the K&M guys because Porsche just kicked their butt. That was the end of that. But before that, it was the K&M, and then it won for a short period of time. Uh, the, the Shadow was an amazing car. But now, there was one car there that was absolutely incredible. And I really wish we had video here because I'd love to show it to you. But I, it literally it had a the Cosworth Ford motor in it or Chevrolet, whatever they put in it at the time later. But initially, it was the Cosworth Ford, uh, a three-liter V8. But you're sitting in this car, and if you, you are basically, uh, it's a go-kart, a big, giant go-kart. A steering wheel was like, you, you look down, like in a tea bucket or something like that, and it was down there, and here you are, you're flying around it. I mean, that car is capable of 200 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, it's tremendous downforce, you know, for an itty-bitty little car, you know, and it's all in aerodynamics and the way the car was, you know. And then, of course, you know, they saw later in like 70, 71, 72, you know, they got into wings and all that stuff. And that created – the, the problem with the downforce was is these cars, particularly like the McLaren M8 and the Porsche, they had so much downforce, they didn't have tires that would hold up. The tires would literally explode, come apart. And that's why there was a lot of cr- crashes. So it wasn't so much mechanical failures as it was uh, – uh, the tires failing, and um, pretty interesting stuff. But the, when you go to an event like Amelia Island, you you are just totally enthralled because everybody and anybody's there. We had Corky Coker on last week. He was there with his loser, and um, and everybody just got busy. And so you can go to Amelia Island. You can bump into somebody one day, and you might not see him for two days. And the next thing you know, you run into him again. And then the show field. I mean, when they opened the gates at uh, a quarter to ten, I mean. It wasn't like people came in droves. It was like they were swarming in there. It was incredible. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Again, one of those, you know, right time, like a Kodak moment. And I saw people coming across the field. But I wasn't prepared to take pictures. But there was this one shot there that I could have got where there was nobody on the hill. And all of a sudden, like an army, the people were coming across the hill. That's how many people were coming to, to Amelia Island. And then within a matter of minutes... The whole show field was just wall to wall with people. Pretty spectacular when you think about it. Um, our good friend uh, from Tampa, Carlos, was there with his 935. Uh, Bruce Myers was there with his 935. Um, Carlos's car was a Daytona winner. Bruce's car was a Le Mans winner. Um, countless Cobras, Porsches, Mercedes, uh, Ferraris everywhere. You know, but Maseratis, Delahaye Delages. Um, Hispano Suiza was the featured car uh, for vintage cars and um, or was it the Soto Fraschini? I think it was uh, Hispano Suiza, yeah. And uh, and the Shadow was the featured car for the racing mark. And they had a number of those cars there. And uh, and they won. So uh, Shadow won. The th- here's the thing about Bill, Bill Warner. When you go to a lot of concours, when they have a best of show, generally it's a uh, 
pre-war car, brass era car, something prior to the 50s. Bill was kind of like a trendsetter. What he did basically is he says, you know what, uh, I'm, I, I think we need to expand this a little bit and have, you know, if we're going to have a classic and antique, then we're going to have a racing uh, best of show as well. So he started that probably about four or five years ago, six years ago. Bobby, I don't know if you remember, but um, it uh, it works out pretty well because there's something there for everybody. Yeah, it, it was about that long ago. And as time moves on here, you know, the, the like, for example, on Saturday, they have a Cars and Coffee. And it's, pr- it's promoted by uh, Haycock Insurance, Classic Car Insurance. Obviously, Haggerty's there and, and, and Grundy's there and Chubb's there and J.C. Taylor's there and all the other Classic Car Insurance co- uh, agency or companies, underwriters are there. And... But the Cars and Coffee is pretty cool. Um, it's, you know, obviously there's Corvettes, a lot of Porsches, Mercedes, Datsuns, you know, Nissans, but mostly Datsuns, you know, because it's mostly vintage cars. And uh, I think it had to be pre-'74. I'm not sure, or maybe – no, I, I, that's not true either because uh, we had our 944 Turbo there last year, and it's an 88, wasn't it, something like that? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was pre- it was a fun experience for you to drive that car in the show field, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, and uh, it's it's kind of exciting, you know. And here you are, you're on the exact same show field as the concourse the day before, and the same people are there. And everybody's walking around, and, and they're all car enthusiasts. And, you know, just like Corky said, you know, there is no uh, – there's no – feelings there you're, you're all there for cars so you know whether a chevy guy a ford guy a porsche guy a corvette guy uh whatever you know it's uh, it's it's somebody if you're a car enthusiast you like them all you might be partial to one or two but uh you you like them all and uh so that's what's uh that's what's great about the car collector harvey hobby is the camaraderie and uh so um Yes, yes, yes. There was a lot of electric cars, and I'll be honest with you. Since I don't get into the electric car thing, and that was part of the discussion, the seminar, um, I didn't even really look at any. The only one that caught my attention, and I didn't even know it was what it was until because I was looking at the there was a um, car company there that, and I'm not exactly sure how this works, but basically. It, the the cl- the cliche is invest in the flip. So it's basically like you put money into a car, and when they sell it, you get a percentage of the profit type deal. I'm not quite that works if you got an upswing, you know, upticking market. But if the market turns around and goes the other way, all bets are off. So I don't really like that. But there was a couple classic cars there. There was a a um, Auto Bianchi there, which is a little Italian, kind of like a little. If you ever saw the movie, um, the very first Pink Panther. Um, David Niven drove a Ferrari 250 PF convertible, and Robert Wagner, who was his nephew, was driving this little Fiat Autobianchi kind of little, uh, little tiny little two-seater, about the size of an Isetta. That was there, but the other car that caught my attention was the '68 uh, Lamborghini Isolero. Well, the company beside it was uh, a company that was retrofitting, and I'm not sure who it was. Could have been Superformance, but they were retrofitting electric motors in classic cars that they were building, reproduction classics, and they had an AC Cobra there. And I just kind of glanced at it, but it had chrome wheels and stuff, so it really didn't, you know, being kind of a purist, I just didn't really um, pay much attention to it. And then somebody said, it's got electric motors in it. So I took over and walked over and glanced at it, and it had a big battery pack in the front, and had a big electric motor in the trunk, and 
you know, electronic gauges and this and that and all this other stuff. And I just looked at it and I go, for real? <laughs> you know, uh, I did talk to our good friends, uh, Tom Scarpello from Revology. Tom, now, you know, over the years, they did the fake Eleanor's or the Eleanor's, the reproduction Eleanor's. And there's been a number of companies that over the years have tried building uh, replica cars um, that look like the original Shelby's, let's just say, for example, and try to get them licensed under Shelby and Ford. Well, the only company that's really done a very, very good job is uh, Revology. And Revology is based out of Orlando and uh, started by Tom Scar- Scarpella, who basically was a former Ford um, uh, executive. And uh, he, I will say, bills probably, and they're not cheap, they're one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. But he builds the finest examples of a modern, updated, state-of-the-art Mustang, Shelby, Shelby Mustang, and he does sixty-five, sixty-six, sixty-seven, and coupes and convertibles, and or I should say fastbacks and convertibles. And he does a spectacular job. His cars, the the fit and finish, the shut lines on his cars are better than anything that ever rolled off Detroit's assembly lines. And I told him that. I said, I'm truly, truly, truly impressed with, with, with his operation and, and his finished product. I mean, you know, they got Roush, um, Coyote Motors in them, six-speed transmissions, but the interior, the tailoring, everything on those cars is absolutely, absolutely stunning. I mean, granted, you know, you're, you're going to buy a seven eighty dollars BMW, but, you know, to build one of these cars, granted, if, if Ford Motor Company was building them, it would probably be less than $100,000. But when it's an independent small private company and they only build 70, 80 cars, you know, over a four or five year period, well, you know, they're limited production. So anything that's limited production costs a lot of money. That's just the way it is. But they are truly, truly, the detail was outstanding. On that note, Bobby, what do we got queued up on the uh, turntable? Anything? Well. Well. Been looking. You've been looking. Quite a while here. Should okay. We, should we stick to. I can't drive some 55. Of our past guess. Oh, well, I could do that. Yeah, we can do that. I mean, we're talking. Okay. We had Sammy come on and, and yeah, do the can, uh, the, the liner, so we could probably do. I can't drive fifty five since we're talking about driving. But any rate, uh, in the meantime, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I think Bobby's going to queue up a little Sammy Hagar, yeah. a little Red Rocker. I've seen him a couple times, uh, you know, at a number of events, and then uh, his own '67 Shelby, the Red Rocker, uh, he auctioned off at uh, Barrett Jackson a number of years ago. Anyway, you tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. We'll touch that dot. We'll be right back. This is our 11th anniversary radio show.
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Okay, we're back and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Cars, cars, cars. So the uh, thing about Amelia Island is they have a lot of really cool stuff. But it's not only the cars, it's the people that, are show, that show up there, the personalities. Um, you know, you, you, you run into these people that have, um, you know, the one, that always, the one that always gets me in. One of these days, I might, I might get lucky and it might happen to me too, but... I can fortunately say that I've had, I still have a car too that I had back in high school, which was 1973, which is actually kind of pretty cool. But the one that always gets me is the one where the guy had the car, sold the car, then he tried to buy the car back and couldn't get it. And then it went around and around and around and around. And then 15, 20 years later, he winds up getting a shot at getting the car back again and he gets the car back. And sometimes the car's been changed. Sometimes it's pretty much the way it was. One of the cars that was there was uh, that they auctioned off. I think it brought 800000 900000 was a car that was actually right here in St. Pete. And it's a long story, but it belonged to uh, an attorney slash judge out of St. Petersburg. I knew the gentleman. He was in our, uh, you know, I don't say car club, but kind of hung out with us. But he would come into my salvage yard every once in a while. And I used to go down to his shop, and he had a bunch of these old cars. He had an old Porsche in there. He had a bunch of Izettas, countless motorcycles, bicycles, just stuff. I mean, he had stuff on the first floor, second floor, hanging all over the place. It was pretty cool. But he had this one Corvette that was sitting in there. And I remember looking at it, sitting in it, and looking under the hood and stuff. Didn't think anything of it because it was kind of custom and modified. And he told me that the car belonged to some guy, and it was a custom car or some special car. Well, long and short of it is, is... The judge passes away, and then they go to auction off the property. Well, the, there was no VIN numbers on the car. And on a 50, 60 Corvette, going back to the early days, it's a screws, two screws, Phillips screws, hold it on the, on the door jam. And uh, 61, 62, they're literally tack welded, spot welded to the steering column. And then after that, they're stuck underneath on the mid years and so on. They're underneath the, uh, all the mid years are underneath the glove box. And then, uh, the seventy, the sixty-eight C3s are, um, you know, on the cowl where they're supposed to be. At any rate, so there was no numbers on it. But the but Corvettes, for some strange reason, were stamped on the frame. So as the story goes, the kid was trying to figure out what the car was, as the son. And as it turned out, it was one of the missing Cunningham cars. And Brick Cunningham, uh, very wealthy entrepreneur um, of Cunningham fame. Used to race boats. I think he flew, and then he also did some racing. And his cars were always white with a blue stripe. 
that which became the colors of America. You know, so an American racing car, its livery was white with blue stripes. Uh, England, for example, is British racing green. Italy initially was green, then became red. Uh, Germany was silver for the silver arrows. So you know, each in Japan, I think it was white with uh, some trim on it. So um, each country had its livery, so to speak. So if you scratched on the car, you actually found some white paint on this thing. And that was, but the car was custom. It had a custom dash, custom fenders, custom rear panels on it. I mean, where the deck lid was. And so nobody really, not in a million years, would you guess that that was one of the three Cunningham race cars that race at Le Mans, Sebring, Daytona. And uh, so as it turned out, that was the car. So I thought it was kind of interesting because I, Kind of had a little bit of a connection to that car, which was kind of interesting as well. Then there was a guy in a show field that had a 57 Corvette, and it was in metal flake, and paint kind of faded. And as the story goes, this guy acquired this car something like 20-some-odd years ago. A friend of us said, you need to buy this car. At the time, nobody knew what the car was. It just looked like a fuel-injected 57 Corvette. And they put a roll bar in it and... Did some other few things to it, okay? So as the story goes, it wasn't until after this guy had this car for like 10 years that he did a little research, and this car turned out to be one of the prototype 57 uh, road race cars, or um, could have been a land speed car, I'm not sure, but it was a, a, a car that uh, Zordonduff was involved with, and uh, it was kind of a ex- prototype experimental, but it had this... And they were testing something, and I can't remember what it was. I can't remember the whole story. But nonetheless, so the guy that owned the car had the car there on the show field. It was all original, and I was talking to him for a bit. And then underneath the back of the car, as it rolls down below the rear valance, so to speak, was some paint chips. And underneath the paint chips, it was clear that the car was white with blue stripes at one point in time. Well, it didn't have a custom body, but what it had was trick suspension, trick brakes, the roll bar, and it was some sort of a prototype race car, and there's pictures of the car at Sebring in 1957, or excuse me, Nassau in 1957, next to the uh, Dundoff, I think it's an SP2P or SP22 or something like that, well, SR22 is one of the funky-looking Corvettes that had the big fin on the back. And uh, so that was pretty cool, and... So I was talking to the guy, and I said, so what, what's the next step for the car? And he says, well, what we're going to do is we have a guy, a team, it's going to the, a museum, a local museum here in Florida, and they're going to spend the next year literally trying to strip the car down to its original livery. Now think about this for a second. They're going to take this car, and they're going to peel the paint off this car. And I don't know what the process is, but as he told me, it's going to cost a lot of money and they're going to do it an inch at a time. And he's hired a team of 12 guys to work on this car nonstop for the next year. So it'll be interesting to see, because the car probably won't go back to Amelia, but definitely there'll be a write-up about it. So these are the things that are just extremely fascinating when you when you run into this stuff, because here's, an, again, another situation where somebody uncovers a car, they had no idea it was a race car, and no idea it was in Florida. It went from Detroit to Florida to someplace else to someplace in the Midwest and wound up in a warehouse in Chicago and sat there forever. And it had been parked since 1962. So that's fascinating, you know, and those are the stories that are really cool. It's like when you find a car 
And, you know, it used to be that everybody had to have a restored car. And it's true. There's a lot of people who want perfectly restored cars. But there's a lot of guys, particularly myself, that like cars just the way they are. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. It doesn't have to be a perfect show car. It doesn't have to be trucked out. Now, do I respect trucked cars? Oh, yeah. I was down at my friends today, Predator Motorsports. And uh, they do racing Jaguars. And they had a couple of customers' cars there. One 12-cylinder with just, I mean, with all state-of-the-art, like a 12-cylinder now, 5-liter, 5.2, whatever they are, with state-of-the-art suspension underneath it, adjustable coilovers, and tricked-out motor, six-speed in it. and But it looked like a stock Jaguar E-Type. and uh, But it had this really elaborate injection system on it. But it made it a really cool, drivable car. There was a, I was watching a YouTube channel with uh, Jay Leno on it not too long ago, and he's got some funky Jaguar that some guy bought and modified uh, some Jaguar guy. And, but they basically what they did is they took an E-Type, a 12-cylinder Jag, and basically made it look like, shortened it, and made it look like an E-Type. But So it's basically a 12-cylinder modified, and I think they got like six liters out of it or something like that. So that's almost a 400 cubic inch 12-cylinder versus uh, um, you know 320 cubic inch, whatever they are. And uh, put the early Series 1 style headlights on it, the uh, Series two, uh, 1 tail panel on it. and I mean, it just did a, did a stunning job on the car. It was just amazing. But so Jay's doing a drive on it. And that's pretty cool. And so E-Type Jags are kind of just kind of a neat car. So And they had a couple of racing Jags in there. And I got a customer who's got an E-Type, and he was looking for some oddball parts. So I was sniffing around in there because, you know me, I'm a parts junkie. Can't help it. Like just getting my hands. I actually I'm wearing my junkyard pants. What's that thing, Bobby? You were saying, you know, where they always from the from the waist up, they're always dressed up real nice. Oh. But the, what do they call that? Oh, when you go on Zoom or Skype or something, or you have some sort of virtual meeting. Yeah. So everybody yeah, you only there. sit. You only dress up what you can see on the computer. So basically, they're in their underwear from there yeah, down. Yes, something yes. that in their socks. So okay, you, I got you. You can do the ra- <laughs> and, and really in the radio business. We take credit for that because there's a lot of people who come in here in flip flops and then that's you know, true. Oh, a nice suit and tie on the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, and then by contrast, I was over at Tom Argues today, and uh, he arguably <laughs> does some excellent work. And I was looking at a '65 uh, Malibu SS. Listen to this story. This is really, really cool. I'm going to post. I'm doing an appraisal on this car. So here's a car that a gentleman bought when he got out of Vietnam. He bought this car. Uh, it's a 65 SS L79. So that's a 350 horse, 327 four-speed car. Okay. Well, on a 64 SS, uh, Chevelle's a rare car to start with, you know. And then four-speed, you know. Even though four speeds were more common back in the day, um, it was still only 30, 35% of the cars, not even, not half of the car, half the cars were four speeds, okay? And as the 70s grew on, it was less and less. And, um, but four speed was the way to go, and it still is. You know, you see a four speed in the car and everybody gets excited, you know? They see an automatic thing, oh, yeah, big deal. All right, maybe racing, it works good, but, you know, if you're driving a car every day and you want to have some fun, it's got to be a stick, got to be a four hooker. Anyway, so here's the story on this car. The guy finds this car, some little car lot down here in St. Pete. And it's just, it's kind of banged up a little bit here, but not too bad. It's 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 a decent driver. Well, as the story goes, the guy finds out that this car, and I got to check with a friend of mine who used to race at Sunshine back in the day. This car was a push car at Sunshine Speedway. So basically, that means if you were at Sunshine Speedway and you had a dragster, what they did is they had certain cars that had like these big bumper guards on the front of it, and then what they do is if you had a dragster, they push you up to the line, and uh, you know, or if you when you got down the other end of the line, you know, they push you back to the pits. So that's an interesting story. Well, this guy's had this car since the 70s, all right? 
And so who knows, you know, technically, if it was a push car, it belonged to the Speedways, which was Sunshine back in the day. And so, and then it went to a car lot. So he could be really the second owner on this car. So now he takes this car, takes it over to Tom Argues, who does absolutely SEMA quality work. When I saw the car, and I'll post pictures of it, it is laser straight. You, you guys cannot, you know, unless you've gone to SEMA, and I urge everybody, you get with a buddy, somehow get a pass, go as a guest, whatever you got. You got to go to SEMA at least one time, just like you got to go to Amelia at least one time. You got to go to Pebble Beach at least one time. Scottsdale, Bear Jackson, the big one. Got to do that at least one time. So you got something to talk about. And you, then you can kind of relate to what I'm saying. So here he has his car, and it is at, I mean, it's got a, uh, a, a speed line suspension underneath it, which trumps basically uh, Art Morrison or the Roadster Shop because it's more – well, I shouldn't say it trumps it. It's along the lines of a road race chassis with road race springs, road race, all this heavy-duty stuff underneath it. You know, it even had a torque tube on it, nine-inch, special nine-inch rear end underneath it. The body completely taken off, redone, undercoated, um, what, what are they called, body shoots or rhino-coated, color matched underneath the car, uh, insulators on the mufflers, uh, all Zeus fittings everywhere, or um, Zerk fittings, which is, you know, the grease fittings, um, for all the joints and everything like that. I mean, just Heim joints here, uh, Coilovers on the back, uh, coilovers on the front, adjustable, got slammed, it's got, uh, um, can't remember the name of the wheels right now, but they're special wheels, three-piece wheels, the outer uh, lip was chromed, uh, or yeah, sent out and be chromed, the centers were polished uh, or, or uh, painted. Um, just, but uh, their their billet wheels, their uh, um, their the pin locks, so they got you know center spinners with with on on pin locks like on a, on a race car. Just absolutely, the interior was. Re- and here's the cool thing about the car: it looks very very original. It looks like a stock car. If you really just saw it going down the road, you go, oh okay, there's a '65 Chevelle. It's mini tub, you know. It's more to it than that. And people do not realize the hours and hours and hours. I mean, the finish on the car, when I say mirror finish, I mean mirror finish, okay? You see that at a Pebble Beach or an Amelia Island car. You see it at a SEMA car. It's not something you'd see. And, I mean, I'm just amazed that the guy's doing what he's doing, you know, investing tons and tons and tons and tons of hours and money in this car, but you know what? It makes him happy. No different than a $500 piece of crap makes me happy. This $500,000 Chevelle, and I'm exaggerating, of course, um, makes this guy happy. And it's state of the art. He can't wait to drive it. And uh, it's just, you know, the interior, leather, all hand-stitched. Uh, you know, we don't have cardboard door panels. They're aluminum panels. It's done over aluminum. Uh, just the, just the, the dash layout, I think it was Dakota Dash that did it. But the, it was a really cool, retro-looking, very original-looking dash. Uh, the stereo system hit underneath the car. Power seats, power w- windows, button, push-button start. Um, LS3 underneath there, crate motor 427. Just uh, air conditioning, power steering, power brakes. Um, some pretty cool stuff. I mean, a lot of times you don't see power brakes necessarily. You'll see just the regular you know, manual brakes, but you'll see power everything else. And uh, but they modified the the amount of work that went into to, to an engineering that went into this car to make it what it is. Um, it was absolutely uh, incredible. So, you know, you, you when you wander in these shops and you see this kind of stuff, you know, and you know, I mean, it, this was a three and a half year build. Okay, I was talking to uh, Mercedes Classic, 
and I was talking to the guys over at Porsche Classic in, in Atlanta. And when they restore some of these Porsches and some of these Mercedes-Benzes, when they restore them 100% correct. Now, when I say 100%, they're really more than 100%. You know, the, occasionally you'll find guys that will restore a car and they go over the top, way over the top. Then you get a car that's totally extreme, like the Chevelle, and I wouldn't say it's totally over the top because it's not wicked and wild. It's v- wickedly done in terms of the workmanship work to a point where it's almost a piece of art, but the car looks very much like a 64 or 65, 65 Chevelle. I mean, they shaved the the um, the drip rails and they um, smoothed out the took the delivered the vents out of the the cowl but other than that it's and they bulged the front flanders a little bit to accommodate the big wheels and tires and the offset but other than that it's absolutely a stunning car now very rarely I mean you go to a do people restore a car the way it rolled off the assembly line for some reason invariably it gets it goes beyond that and uh, so but you could have Three to four, five thousand hours in some of these cars. I was talking to the guys that work at RM, and they have a restoration shop up in uh, in Montreal. And another friend of mine's got a restoration shop in Minnesota. And five, six thousand hours is not uncommon. When you have to, when you have a car and you're missing pieces, and you got this 1930s pre-war car, and the, all you have is pictures, you have to make th- recreate things from the picture. So a piece of molding that might be trim, chrome molding that might be six, well, I don't want to say six inches, but let's just say it's a foot long, might take you days to get that piece right, to, 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 to machine that thing, to mill the thing, to file that thing, to polish that thing, to put it on, to fit it. Oops, I bent it. Now i got to do it again. You know, I mean, this, that, that you, you just can't imagine. I mean, I know when, when Bobby and I, when we tinker with something, I mean, we screw with something here for hours and hours and hours and some little goofy little thing. It could be a switch, you know, trying to get it out of the door or out of the dash, you know. Um, interesting. Really, really cool stuff. So you have the next time you see a car that's done to that level, you'll have to just think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of painstaking hours. You know that someone a dedication, a commitment to do it to do a car like that. Now let's jump over to my good friend Steve Pastiner. Pastiner is the former designer, automotive designer with um, General Motors, and he is responsible. When he signed up there it was in the '60s, he actually met Harley Earl, worked under Bill Mitchell. And I, in fact, he was telling me a story. He says, yeah, Bill Mitchell and Harley Earl walked into the design studio one day, and uh, Steve didn't know who he was. And he said to one of the guys, who's that, that, that tall guy over there with uh, Bill Mitchell? He goes, huh, that's Harley Earl. And, you know, I mean, Harley Earl is probably perceived to be the Lloyd Wright of automobiles. Because he started back in the 30s, actually in the 20s, the 30s, before he was even with General Motors, and just a really, really innovative guy. Bill Mitchell was also very innovative, but Harley Earl was Harley Earl. Well, anyway, so Steve was talking to me a little bit about cars, and we were getting into the thing about design. Now, when he worked for Buick, he's responsible for the Buick Grand Sport, you know, the GS, and then later, most notably, the Grand National and the Grand National X, okay? And uh, so we were talking, and here's the deal designers and car guys sometimes don't see eye to eye 
So he was kind of explaining his point of view, and I was trying to explain my point of view, you know, on cars. And we, one of the issues we got into was today's modern-day cars, right, Bobby? We are talking about why they mm-hmm. don't make cars anymore and why they're doing SUVs. And he basically says, he says, your cell phone. And I said, yeah, my cell phone. I'm holding it up here, if you see me on, on the thing. And he goes, does it mean anything to you? And I said, well, quite frankly, no. I don't – I mean – I'm not an Apple guy, so let's I'd say uh, a Pixel, which is what? I'm an Android-oriented kind of guy. I've always had Motorola's. But guys are generally brand loyal, where I'm going with this. okay? So I'm brand loyal, so I'll always drive a Ford, and I will always have, let's say, a Motorola. But Motorola didn't have the phone I needed, so Bobby said, here, let's get a Pixel because it takes good pictures, right? But in two years, when this lease is— still an Android. It's still an Android. Either way. And, but when two years, I just chuck it, I go get another one. Well, he says this is what's happening with cars. Cars actually, do, you trade it in like a car. <laughs> I trade it in like a car. Okay, that's pretty. That's good. Yeah, right. So he says, Pip, there is no personal connection with cars anymore. They're not exciting. They don't do it. I mean, they just become. They've become utilitarian, and you know, you get an S, an SUV basically like, like in the old days. Mom had a station wagon. Dad had a car or a sports car or something like that, right? So on the weekends, everybody piled up in a wagon. Didn't think much of it. Threw your gear in there. Threw your clothes, your picnic bags, your sleeping bags. And you went on vacation, and that was it. That's what a station wagon was. But Dad had a cool car. Dad might have had a Volkswagen, might have had a Porsche, might have had a Thunderbird, might have had a Camaro, might have had a, you know, Z28, might have had a Boss 302 or anything like that, okay? Might have had a big Lincoln, you know, who knows? Price of 300. That's generally where it was when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, okay? Dad had the cool car, Mom had the wagon. Okay, so now, today, fast forward, Dad probably has a truck, Mom has an SUV. <laughs> pretty much waiting pretty. it out waiting 30 minutes to use that well you, hey we haven't heard that one in a long time you know come on keep throwing them at us Bobby and now, now it's funny now it's real funny so where I'm going with this is so mom's got the SUV but not every but everybody's got it you had an SUV for a short period of time right Bobby you had a Ford Escape and so and now you're you back to the excursion a long time ago no I had the excursion yeah and we still have the excursion and so you know and that's that's daddy's car truck Mama's got an escape, too, now. So, at any rate, and you got your focus. So, basically, you're back to the car. Mom's got a small SUV. I got a whole slew of stuff broken down, sitting in the garage in pieces, and and, and my excursion. And what do I drive? I drive a van for transit. But, at any rate, but but it's a utilitarian-type thing, and there's no—it means nothing to me. And he says that means nothing to anybody anymore, you know. Now, the collector car guy, you know, he's got, like us, you know, we have the cool stuff sitting in the garage. You know, some people have some really, really good, wicked stuff. Some people have junk, like we do. And uh, so, but but as long as it puts a smile on your face, that's all that matters. And as time rolls on, and as our generation kind of dwindles away, you know, this modern stuff is, is going to kind of work its way into the system, so to speak. And pretty soon... It's just going to be yuck. Now, the extreme is, you know, you got the tuna car, so you got a generation going after that, and the guys that have the big money go after the Lambos and the Porsches and the Ferraris and the, the really cool exotic stuff, and I think there will always be a market for that. But, you know, most of these cars nowadays, paddle shifters, push button, and a lot of the manufacturers are going, you know what, we're going to go by 2025, by 2030, by 20 this, by 20 that, we're going to just be all electric, you know, and – the Asoto Fraschini, for example, the or uh, that was the um, uh, or Hispano Suiza. 
Uh oh, the Jetsons. And then the, break, then the battery runs out. And then the battery runs out. There you go. Um, the Hispano Suiza, they're coming out with a car that looks very much like the Xenia, which was a very cool 30s special custom spaceship looking kind of thing. Think about this. This was in the 30s. The car was there. If you go to my Facebook page, there's a picture of it um, from Amelia Island. And, I mean, it's got a, a glass top, uh, it looks like a turret. And this really pointy thing in the back. In fact, I thought what was kind of interesting is I didn't really pay any attention to it. But when I looked at it, and then they had the McLarens there, the new McLaren Speedtail, which comes to a point. Well, that uh, new Hispanic Suiza looked very much like that. The uh, you know the, these are the shapes of things to come. You know, it's kind of like the joke was when Triumph came out with the TR7, the TR6, TR4, you know, all this. And in 77, 78, yeah, 77, they came out with the TR7, and it was a wedge. I used to call it a doorstop. But it said the things are shapes, the shape of things to come. Hideous, you know, but you, we are going in that direction. I asked Steve, I said, are all the cars going to have that jelly bean look? He says, yeah, because that works. It's aerodynamics. It's efficiency. It's this, it's that. I said, they're hideous. You know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, when a car came on the market, you know, every year you could tell what it was, whether it was Ford, whether it was Buick, whether it was Chevrolet, whether it was Cadillac, whether it was Pontiac. And you look forward to it. It's just subtle changes. And you go, oh, yeah, well, that's a 67. That's a 68. That's a 69. Today, I can't tell them apart. I mean, Ford, Mercedes, uh, BMW, a lot of them, they, they run, they, they'll build a, a, a certain car for like uh, seven years in a row. And they use it all up. And the only thing they might do is change the little trim. Might go from an egg crate grill to a vertical grill to a hex grill or John something. John Deere tractor. Oops. John Deere <laughs> tractor grill. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, there was a BMW there, and it sure does look like a tractor grill in the front. But it was nothing a, runs like a. Be- I mean, a deer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it uh, it uh, it was a blacked out BMW. But because it was blacked out, you couldn't real the grill didn't jump out at you. But you put that grill on a white car or a, the ultimate farming I mean driving machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty, 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 pretty pathetic. But at any rate, um, it was a great weekend. There were some fascinating people there, and uh, it's something that you need to put on your bucket list if you've never been to and get this, you know, the thing about Ameliology, it's real casual. You know, you know, I mean, the cool thing is, is and like in Pebble, like at St. John's with the big concourse, you know, people if the, with the brassier cars will dress in period. That's kind of cool. But they actually have a fashion show there. So whether you had a mid-century car, I mean, a uh, mid-50s car, you know, they came out in mid-50s clothes. If you had a 60s car, they had a six. you dressed in 60s mod clothes, you know, and uh, it was it was really cool. And that's something for the women, too, you know. And uh, and there's those, there's other little things there for, for, for younger car enthusiasts. Haggerty has a thing there where you can get in a car and you can sit in and play with it you know get kind of there's a couple guys that bring their sports cars or vintage cars or model t's or something like that because obviously you want to get the young kids involved in this stuff and uh get them take an interest in these cars because somebody's got to carry on the the torch as i say you know um i'm fortunate because i have bobby bobby's in old cars he might not be a parts junkie like i am so i got to clean that mess up but uh definitely likes the cars likes driving them and obviously we have to have some spares for the crap that we have because down the road when you can't find it anymore it's good to have, and it's pretty basic, you know. I was looking at, uh, oh, that was one of the things I was, real quick, I was talking to Steve. I said, Steve, uh, so when you guys design these cars, what they design them, you know, and they're going down the assembly line, the one thing they don't do, and that's because of upper-level management, they design these cars so that we can't work on them. You know, so you got to take half the dash apart to get to an AC condenser or, or evaporator or something like that. You know, that was where I took issue. You know, you guys design these cars. And he says, yeah, it's getting more and more complicated, more and more computers, more and more this, more and more that. And, you know, hey, you keep it. The life cycle is, you know, three to five years, and then you get rid of it. It is like computers. 
Concealed unit? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, you know, so... Can't take your phone battery out anymore. Won't no, you can't. take your car battery out anymore. No, 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 you won't do that. And uh, so I think you need to have the best of both worlds. I think you need to go buy a Revology Mustang, and yep. there you get a 1967 Mustang, and you got state-of-the-art technology underneath the hood and push-button and air conditioning and computers and who knows what else, but you still got a really cool car that at least you can somewhat relate to, you know. Are you telling me that we have to wind the show up, Bobby? Is that what that means? The song we've heard for 11 years. The song we've heard for 11 years. We are going to break on through to the other side. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cards. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Twitter. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. YouTube. Yeah. YouTube, yeah. And, uh, you know, all the social media stuff here, you know. And, uh... You know, like I said, it's been uh, 11 great years. So, uh, you know, more to come, and we're just going to hang in there and just kind of diddy bop along and have a lot of fun and try to keep you guys entertained, you know. So it's all about the cars. So get out and drive the cars, you know. And uh, don't forget to uh, check us out here every Tuesday. And uh, don't forget, uh, if you miss any of our shows, go to our Nostalgic Radio Cars archive page. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.